Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to today's edition of the show. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're speaking about a topic that is so cutting edge. It is something that really some have said affects every one of us. It is a subject of addiction. It's not a native issue, but of course it affects people throughout Indian country. It is a human condition. That's what many psychologists are telling us. And to guide us on an amazing life journey with a lot of practical lessons is Stephen Ginsberg. Steve, it's great to have you with us today. Good morning, Dr. DeRose. Thank you so much for having me. I certainly appreciate it. Stephen, you have an amazing story, and I know it starts out in a place that, uh, well, is familiar to both of us. I grew up in the Chicago area as a young man, ended up in a little place called Northbrook, Illinois. Your roots are in a very similar place. Tell us a little bit about your uh, upbringing and some of the things that, uh, well, laid a foundation for your story. You and I were North Shore neighbors, which is awesome. Born and raised in Highland Park, Illinois, beautiful area if people aren't familiar with it it's a very, actually a very affluent community and a, a predominantly jewish community and a very tight-knit suburb with just excellent schools uh, phenomenal opportunities for families and for young people and just absolutely a gorgeous area to grow up in the weather which can't be controlled is something to be desired it's absolutely freezing but everything else about the North Shore is gorgeous, and, and that is where I was born and where I spent my childhood. So, Steve, you had this uh, experience. A lot of people would say, boy, great part of the country. I know a lot today in public health we talk about zip codes, that uh, where someone grows up actually shapes their uh, their upbringing, shapes their health history, shapes their health expenses. I know a lot of folks who are tuning in today, some of them are on reservations. Some of them are in urban settings. They're in the Chicago area. They're in New York City. They're in L.A. But uh, we've got a diverse group of people tuning in. Some feel, yes, hey, I'm living in a great part of the country uh, as far as some of the amenities there. Others are saying, hey, I wish I was someone else. But what we're really wanting to hone in on today is something that can affect us wherever we're at. We can be in the greatest surroundings. We could say, hey, we're in this tightly knit tribal community. I'm in a wonderful uh, reservation setting, beautiful people around me, uh, rich in native culture. And uh, yet in that environment, just like an environment that someone might say, hey, yeah, I'm native, but uh, I'm living downtown uh, LA. I'm living in a great part of the city, great business opportunities, uh, nightlife, culture. Whatever it is, people can look at those, quote, amenities from whatever perspective, and yet there can be challenges. There were things that you describe in your life that left what you call a void. Tell us a little bit about that. So much was going through my mind as you're describing what you just did. I was just speaking yesterday with a group and explaining to them that addiction and alcoholism, it's absolutely one of the most equal opportunist diseases that I know of. The example I like to use is anything from the outhouse to the penthouse. It's going to affect every area. And yes, again, to your point, I don't take for granted the blessing I had in the area that I grew up. 
And of course, there was a void in my life that was described. And I had so, so much of what I wanted, maybe too much, actually, of what I wanted. And I don't fault anyone for that. But what I truly needed, and I always view that, Dr. DeRose, as the issue, sir, what I think some of us truly need as human beings as we're on this walk and making this journey is the things we need sometimes are missing, and that starts to create an emptiness. And unfortunately, with what's going on with drugs and alcohol, that's where the disease of alcoholism and addiction has really fertile ground to strike, sir. One of the things that was so compelling to me, Stephen, about your story is uh, you went through a scenario that's uh, pretty common across all demographic lines. Your parents separated, divorced when you were a young child. Tell us a little bit about the family background and how that really ultimately laid some of those roots, those tentacles, if you will, that ultimately contributed to your slipping into substance abuse. Sure. It's not uncommon. Uh, the statistics are harrowing with divorce. It's unfortunate, but it's a very common part of our story in society. And my family was just part of that. My parents truly had irreconcilable differences. I was very young. I was four years old. And by the time I was five, they had divorced. And again, as a five-year-old child coming up, your want, your desire, and your need is mom and dad. And then what I had was mom. And then I had dad whenever uh, dad had visits and time. And that wasn't dad's fault. And that wasn't mom's fault. That was part of the plan. But that absolutely, I like to look at the recipe of what comprised my emptiness. And when I look at the foundation, that portion of it, the divorce in my family, certainly was a huge part of the foundation to this breeding ground that started to head me on the trajectory towards addiction and alcoholism. Quick footnote on that. And I think it's important for me to convey this because I'm convicted about this part. I'm grateful for that. And I never sit back and blame my parents. I'm grateful because if that didn't occur and I didn't have those experiences, I wouldn't have ended up where I am. I wouldn't have learned what I learned. I wouldn't even have this moment right now with you. So although that's a hard part of the story, it was a necessary one. And I'm certainly appreciative of it retrospectively. I so love your perspective, Stephen, because so many folks, when they feel like they got dealt a bad hand in life, whatever that means, whether it's genetics, whether it's environment, whether it's uh, family of origin, whatever the case might be, a lot of folks uh, get bitter. They blame everyone, everything that contributed to some of the challenges that they're dealing with, rather than kind of rising above them and seeing opportunity in those settings. I so appreciate that about your story because uh, you're doing that. And uh, I just really want to commend you. I know you've, you've written a book about your story, too. I mean, a lot of folks, I think, uh, will be engaged. I've uh, been enjoying reading through the book. Haven't quite finished it yet. I know at the end you survive, so that's reassuring since you're my guest here today. But... Uh, <laughs> Tell me a little bit about this other place in the story, because there comes a point where out of this void, you end up getting exposed to a recreational drug that a lot of people are trying to tell us is this healthy, natural substance, marijuana. Tell us how that all fit into the story. 
again, in correlation with what you're sharing. And by the way, thank you for the affirmation. That means a lot to me. And yes, you know, the book has a happy ending. I'm here and very fulfilled. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. When you just look at the ongoing life experiences and the emptiness and the dysfunction, when at, at 15 years old, I was introduced to marijuana. And I am not sitting here bashing marijuana. I'm not sitting here bashing alcohol. Marijuana, which I absolutely believe is a gateway drug. Again, people are going to smoke marijuana. People have their own outlooks on marijuana. That has nothing to do with where I'm coming from. For a person like myself that went through what I went through, when marijuana was introduced to me by an older contemporary, and when I first smoked marijuana, everything that I felt like I was missing, every fear, every bit of pain, every bit of anxiety that I had was squashed to my perception by the use of marijuana. And I was off and running immediately. And it that very quickly spun into daily and nightly use. And then that continued to escalate because anything with addiction and alcoholism, I believe truly it is remarkably progressive. It grows in scope once it takes its hold. And that's exactly what happened to me. So what I'm hearing you say, Steve, first of all, I'm just going to be honest with you, listening to you, I'm thinking of many of my listeners. They might be in the same place, came from a dysfunctional family, came from maybe abusive relationship. I didn't read about physical abuse in your story, but I clearly read that uh, verbal abuse in your uh, stepmother there for a period of time. But the point that I'm getting at is a lot of folks say, wait a minute, this guy just said marijuana met all the needs in his life. And uh, that's what I was just waiting to hear. So I'm just going to go over to my buddy and say, hey, that's what's going to push me over the line and start using. But you've got a caution for people in your story. I know, again, your motivation isn't to bash any substance, but you're there with people. And you're saying that for some individuals, that first joint could end up putting them on a path to some serious problems. Thank you again, Dr. DeRose, for for highlighting it the way you are, sir. I have no doubt at all that it would push someone over the line. And that line, it might as well be a cliff, a thousand feet high. And I think there is nothing greater that is the actual cure-all for emptiness, for dysfunction, for pain, for anxiety, than clarity then real, the real ability to take some time and step back and find your way to your best life. I don't believe any substance is the element. I don't believe marijuana. I don't believe alcohol. I don't believe any pill is the element that will put you on path so that you can have a life where you understand. I had to understand I'm not my circumstances. Those things that happened to me, that doesn't comprise or define who I am. And I would challenge anyone. I don't believe you're going to find the answers. People will suffer from depression, suffer from anxiety, and then they'll ingest these massive amounts of depressive anxiety bringing substances and they spiral out of control. And I see it every day and I know my story. So I would say to the contrary, if that pain is following you around, step back and assess with a clear head and start an action plan to go in a different direction. Now, Steve, to bring us to your book, you actually, in that book, you talk about 
what I would describe a spiritual awakening, a spiritual focus that comes in. You would connect with what some of my native uh, listeners might call a creator. Others might call it God. People in the AA community, some of them might call it a higher power. But as I read through the story, it doesn't sound like you were particularly spiritual young man growing up or that you had an active what some people might call prayer life or relationship with the creator. Am I reading that correctly? A billion, fulfilling percent, and you're every bit as smart as I think you are. Yes, sir, 100%. I had no connection like that. Really, I was raised in a traditional Jewish culture, sir, and there were things we were supposed to do that I did. I had a bar mitzvah. I went to synagogue on high holidays. That didn't put me into a relationship with a power greater than myself. I do truly prescribe to something that is part of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is people in recovery being able to find a higher power. As long as that higher power isn't themselves, they're off to a good start. So I want to always meet people where they are. I don't want my beliefs or my feelings to constrain or preclude them from this journey. It's harrowing enough. There's enough at stake and enough things stopping people from going forward towards sobriety. But what I love is, again, there's some age-old slogans in recovery that I love and they hold up. One of them is came, came to, came to believe. I absolutely love that. And I think that that path is there. And what's exciting is people are able to, to be empowered and find it on their own. There's just one prerequisite. You abstain from mind-altering substances. Great stuff, Steve. Before we have to step away for a break, some, I'm hoping, can stay by for the whole interview because you got a great story. If some have to step away, they want to get perhaps a copy of your book or a website, where do they go to get more information? Really, really easy. You just go into... Uh, Filling the Void, you literally can search the Filling, filling the Void, or you could go to stephentginsburg.com. Any of those sites will lead you right to the book or right to my site where you can order the book. And uh, I'll tell you what I'd love, truly, if anyone wants to reach out or drop me an email or has any questions or any needs, uh, you will hear back from me directly. Wonderful. We'll give you uh, more contact information when we come back with our next segment of today's edition of the broadcast. Stephen T. Ginsburg, Filling the Void. More coming up right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. For 13 and one half years, I was the victim of severe child abuse. I was being beaten, cursed, and deprived of any kind of love and care. It was a big secret. Children are born to be loved, not to be abused. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. 
We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. I'm here to warn you about telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Some of these scammers may say threatening things like you will be arrested if you don't make payments or provide personal information. Do not fall for these tricks. These calls are not from us. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you for information or money. If you receive a call like this, hang up. Never give the caller your personal information, like your Social Security number or bank account, or send money in any form, cash, gift cards, wire transfers, or prepaid debit cards. Report the call to our law enforcement arm, the Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Share this information with your friends and family. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking today about a subject that is so important. We're calling it Filling the Void. And we're calling it that because that's the title of the book authored by Stephen T. Ginsburg, our guest. If you're just joining us, Stephen has been sharing with us his background from the Chicago area, the North Shore, and uh, how he found himself in challenging circumstances as a young child, experiencing divorce, rejection, and then seeming to find comfort in substances. Stephen, the story is a compelling one. It happens so many times. Millions of people share that story with you. But uh, what started out with marijuana got much worse. Tell us uh, where things went from there as far as the substance use. Yes, sir, Dr. Gross. It, was, it just went downhill very quickly. I really believe that my background, the soil was tilled and, and everything was just right, that if something like that was going to be introduced, you know, I blossomed right into an addict and alcoholic. And again, suffering from a progressive illness, the use picked up in propensity. I used more and more and more. The unmanageability continued to rear its head. Unmanageability is a foundation piece of addiction and alcoholism. Things in your life become unmanageable universally. And uh, what was bad got worse and worse. And then more and more was added to the mix, uh, different drugs, different substances, more alcohol. And I started using when I was 15, and to put a button on it, by the time I was 19 years old, I admitted I was admitted into inpatient treatment for alcohol and drug abuse. In your book, Filling the Void, you tell the story of what changed at the age of 19. I know you had left the Chicago area. You were in Arizona. We want to kind of walk through that. Before we do, I know we promised folks that we would give your contact information. Again, I want to get that out there early in this segment. 
So, Steve, tell us how someone can reach out to you because you've made yourself personally available to talk with people on these topics. Tell us a little bit about how they can track you down. Yes, sir. And, and really just to make it as simple as possible, if you, if you just search Stephen T. Ginsburg, you can do it all as one word. There's no case sensitivity, just Stephen T. Ginsburg. Really a whole web page with the book and with my contact information will pop up. And again, anyone who reaches out, whether it's just a question, somebody needs some encouragement, or if there's an actual need further than that, I do make myself available. I intend on that continuing to be the case. And I believe that's my purpose and my calling. And that will continue to be the case for as long as I can do it. So let me make sure I've got this down. Now, I've got the advantage. I've actually got your book on my tablet. So uh, I'm looking at the spelling of your name. It's Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, and then T for your middle initial, Ginsburg, G-I-N-S-B-U-R-G. So if I just put in stephentginsburg.com, I'm going to get your website. Yes, sir. You absolutely will. And T's for Todd, if anyone's curious, because that's a question that comes up a lot. Sometimes people reach out and the person ask me, what's the T for? I'm like, Todd, that's my middle name and I love it. It's fine. But I really do hope people, if there's something there for them, I hope they'll stumble on it. And if, if there's anything at all that's pulling to them or they need or someone that they love has a need, I truly hope to hear from someone in their family or themselves. So basically, folks can go to Stephen T. Ginsburg. You can interact with Steve directly, or you can pick up a copy of his book, Filling the Void. Steve, I understand you've got a lot of free stuff on the website as well, samples from the book and other things. Is that true? Yes. We intentionally have different samples from the book, different different clips of, of relevant things to, I really can't call what I do a method, but to really the formula of my life uh, through recovery. And again, it's just very welcoming, easy to navigate, and it's purposefully set up that way because, again, most people who are going to find this area have either someone they love or someone they care about in their life who's struggling or who are struggling themselves. So let's go back to your story. So starts with marijuana around 15, and then by the time you're 19, you had gone away to school in Arizona. Tell us a little bit about where things went from that trip, leaving the Chicago area, uh, leaving the nuclear family, even though it was a, a blended family now that you were in. Again, there's nothing surprising or uncommon about my story, Dr. DeRose, because of the perils of addiction and alcoholism. I mean, I barely made it out of high school. I made it out of high school because I had a teacher who if they didn't pass me on my final, I would have been held back. And they felt like they'd be run out of town if they held me back. So they passed me and sent me on my way. And, you know, I went out to Arizona to try to go to Arizona State. I didn't have the grades to even go to Arizona State. I had no grades. So I went into a community college. And again, I was full blown into addiction. And really within just a little bit more than a year's time of being out there, just a general broad stroke because of the progressive nature of what I suffer from. I was using and drinking so much, so habitually. By 19, I, I had hit my first bottom and I needed help. And I'm very grateful. You know, my father agreed to allow me to get the help I needed. And he, he signed off on me going to a wonderful facility. And I went for inpatient treatment for 42 days, sir. So tell us a little bit about that experience, Stephen, because I know folks, uh, in fact, we were talking together. My wife is uh, a physician as well, and she's working with a woman right now who's going through uh, addiction, trying to help her through, uh, through telemedicine. Actually, the context was she was telling this woman, you need to get 
into an inpatient facility, and she just wasn't ready for it. As I read through your story, I said, boy, it's sounding a lot like Steve's story. You were working, it sounds like, with a really good counselor out there in Arizona trying to get you into rehab, but it really took something to change that whole trajectory. So tell us a little bit more. Spot on. And I always felt so much of my formula growing up was I was always seeing a therapist and I needed it. And so I, I felt that as my addiction and alcoholism were continuing to grab a hold of me and take control of my entire life, I'm like, listen, I don't need help. I just need, I need a therapist. I don't need anything more than that. And the lady I had found, you know, God rest her soul. Her name was Judy Westfall. She was amazing. And when I met her within our first session starting, she's like, listen, you need to go for inpatient treatment. She was very privy and, and a big supporter of sobriety. And I'm like, no, people like me don't go to treatment. I mean, you don't understand where I'm from, where I grew up. We don't go to treatment. We get a therapist. I'll be fine. Like I can control this. And of course, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. And it wasn't long after that I was back at her door after disconnecting from her. And I was like, I need help. And, and again, not to make too general of a stroke, but the disease is the disease. The, the fall is the fall. The common denominator is there's a bottom that drives you towards that. And then I finally was able to, to ask for the help I needed. Now, as I was reading your book, Steve, I got the sense that that uh, kind of monumental event when you were 19, you were using so heavily, I couldn't tell, as, the, as and maybe you purposely wrote the chapter this way, I couldn't tell whether you were trying to take your own life or just kind of hoping you were going to die after you had uh, a lot of substances in your system. Tell us a bit about that. And then there's this uh, interesting aspect of the void being filled. It seems like you're starting to connect in that context with uh, with a creator, with a, a God or a higher power. Tell us uh, how that was all woven into that part of your story. Sure. First and foremost, the answer is yes. And, and what I want to say is I believe that, that my brethren, the, my brothers and sisters who are like I am, who are bodily dependent on drugs and alcohol, that is a long suicidal play. That's what it is. Addiction and alcoholism either leads to death or institutions. There's never really a different outcome than that. So my answer to you first and foremost was yes. I was trying to take my own life. I was just going the real long way about doing it and I just wouldn't die. And I'm, of course, I'm extremely grateful for that. So first and foremost, I want to say to anyone who's out there suffering, this part's just important to me, Dr. DeRose. If you are suffering, if you feel like it's insurmountable, I want you to know something. There's help. There's a solution. It's not insurmountable. The only thing that's insurmountable or has finality is if you do die from your disease or you do die from alcoholism or addiction. If you reach out, if you cry out for help, your call will be answered. So I want to just weigh in on that first, sir. That is such an important message, and I appreciate you emphasizing that. And for anybody who's tuning into the show, whether this is speaking to you right now where you're at, I can guarantee you there's someone in your extended family, someone in your community, someone at your workplace. Uh, you might be at a tribal gathering. There's someone else there who's struggling with these issues. You're in a workplace. It may not be a native workplace. It may be a tribal entity. doesn't matter. The problem is is a human condition, and so many of us, we're trying to fill voids in our life with things that really can't fill them. And I'm, I'm hearing your story, Steve, as I listen to you talking, as I read your book, um, and it's really... Just speaking, just real practically, where you've been. We want to transition to 
how your life started to come together, and then, well, how you slip back uh, in seems like fairly short order. We're going to do that in our next segment. Before we step away, just once more, folks are wanting to connect with you. They're wanting to get some of your free resources, maybe even pick up a copy of your book. Tell us again how we do that. Simplest path is stephentginsburg.com. You'll find everything there. And whatever works for you, they're great. Uh, Again, not to be redundant or repetitive, but it's so important. It's made a difference to so many. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You will hear back from me. And anybody who has any type of need or situation, whether it's themselves or someone that they love, uh, that's what this whole initiative is about. Steve, I so appreciate not only you sharing your story, but also making yourself available. So jot that down. If you know someone who's dealing with uh, drugs, alcohol, other addictive challenges, Stephen T. Ginsburg, G-I-N-S-B-U-R-G. Stephen is simply spelled S-T-E-V-E-N. you got to stick that middle initial T in there, StephenTGinsburg.com. We're going to be back with more from Stephen T. Ginsburg and Dr. David DeRose right after these important messages. Don't go away. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. The most negative thinking in my childhood was the things said to me. I felt like I was a bag of garbage waiting to go to the dump. Please, moms and dads, put a watch on your mouth as you relate to your children. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Papa, why can't we telegraph while riding a horse? Son, there ain't no one to blame but Jeffro. He was riding old Betsy the Stallion, tip-tapping away at his telegraph, when blam, ran right into the side of the saloon. Well, if Jeffro can't do it, neither should you. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Every year, hundreds of teens drown. If your teen hasn't learned to swim yet, it's never too late. Even if your teen is a strong swimmer, make sure to supervise kids of any age. No one should swim alone. Teach them to enter the water feet first, wear life jackets on a boat, and never use alcohol or drugs on the water. Drowning is preventable. For more, visit HealthyChildren.org. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs and dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 
That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose with Stephen T. Ginsburg. Stephen is the author of the book, Filling the Void. And Steve, for those who are trying to connect all these dots, we're walking through your life story, but to kind of fast forward to the end, at least where we're at today, you actually, you would say, I think, by God's grace, got your life together. And now you're actually helping other people full-time in this arena. Just tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, and then we want to come back uh, to your story. It is, by God's grace, perfectly put on your part, sir. I own and operate a a six-bed medical detox and residential treatment center called Restore Detox Centers. It's in Poway, California. It's a a beautiful house uh, up on a mountain in Poway and a really peaceful environment. I have the blessing and privilege. I get I lead three groups there a week, which I love. Those are my favorite days of my week. And uh, we have a community of six, so I'm able to pour into the community. And there was quite a bit of need that arose out of Restore. There was a lot of need for aftercare. And then as far as what society's struggling with, I saw a large need as well. So I also developed an offshoot from Restore called CurePro. And that's an aftercare arm that also works with companies, corporations, churches, and schools, and individuals for drug and alcohol awareness, sometimes just very simply for one-on-one counseling and coaching, or sometimes for intervention and prevention purposes. So really the whole realm of my day-to-day is based on and revolving around recovery, which I absolutely love. It feeds me. It helps me not forget. I have a built-in forgetter, and I've got to remember where I came from so that I don't repeat it again. Of course, you're in Southern California right now, and a lot of folks in that neck of the woods do have native roots. I mean, some people are surprised if they're not native to learn that the largest number of Native Americans are residing in California, although some states have a higher percentage of uh, Native individuals. So a lot of Native Americans there in Southern California and in the Southwest, of course, not all that far from where you're located. Do you travel to uh, I mean, if, if someone got got on the phone or they went on the website, stephentginsburg.com, and said, hey, Steve, would you come down to uh, out to Palm Springs area and speak to our tribe? Would you do things like that? An absolute blessing, honor, and privilege. And they wouldn't be able to finish the sentence before I'd be saying, yes, sir. Uh, I'm here to be called on. And again, I'd be honored, and I would love that. And I hope if that's the plan, I hope that happens. Now, another thing that I like about your story, and we're going to come back to it, that just ties this in with Indian country, at least by analogy. So you're part of uh, ethnically, historically, a group of people, uh, Jewish uh, individuals here in uh, in the U.S., who historically there's been a lot of uh, animosity, a lot of tension with, I don't want to say Christians, but I would say people who've taken the name of Christ and who have been anything uh, anything but Christian in how they've dealt with people of, uh, of Jewish background. The same story is played out in Indian country, where I have many Native friends. They are Christian. Uh, I know other Natives I've had the privilege of working with. You mentioned the word Christian, and they think of people who've taken that name and have abused their tribes, have, have, have killed, slaughtered uh, their people. And so... You've been on an interesting journey, like many of uh, native, the Native folks that, that I know, 
who have embraced uh, what's right about Christianity. You, from a Jewish background, have also embraced what a lot of people would say are you know, solidly biblical and Christian principles. Is that fair to say? That's exactly right. And really, to, to put a bow on that component of my journey, you know, I was blessed. I went to inpatient treatment. I understood what I suffered from, and I went on to actively work in recovery as far as my own programming goes, and I put together 12 years of sobriety. And I suffer from an illness that is waiting for me to be complacent, and I was complacent behind the results of the sobriety, and I relapsed. And my relapse was awful and harrowing and horrible. But there was a gift that came out of that relapse, sir. And the gift was this, at that bottom, and I reached a greater bottom, and that's the way it occurs with addiction and alcoholism. It doesn't get better, it gets worse. At that bottom, and again, I want people to know this, quick disclaimer, wherever they are, whatever they believe, whatever they feel in their heart, I will meet everyone where they are. This is just what occurred for me. At that great bottom, I don't know any other way to look at it, but really just a miraculous divine intervention. I did. I cried out for help. I cried out without any provocation or knowledge about Christ to Christ. I asked him to come save me. He did. I stood right up. This was November 12, 2004. I was filthy. I dusted myself off and I literally went downstairs from where I lived, sir, and I walked right into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And that is by the grace of my Lord and Savior. Again, I never want that to be preclusive to anyone from where they're coming from, but I want them to know the truth about my walk. And part of the reason I was spared is to meet everyone just exactly where they are. And that's what I love about both your story and how you communicate, how you work with people. So for a Jewish guy to come to Jesus, I know among a lot of Jews that can create barriers, but that's not what you're about. You're not about, you know, shoving Bible down people's uh, throats or converting people. You're interested in helping people. And as you and I have talked off air, you told me one of the things that really motivates you is is just saving people's lives because you know these addictive disorders, untreated, they can lead to some pretty dark places. And often uh, it's the final chapter in people's lives. So to retrace, you've given us a a broad scope in that last answer. Filling in the dots, because I know the story, you actually go through a treatment program, what, 45 days, something like that, and then a lot of people would say, oh, hey, addiction's behind you, but it's not that simple, is it? That's exactly right. Those were some of the best days, really, of my life, and so much of my foundation was put in place at that treatment center. But again, somebody who has kidney failure, they have to have dialysis. Somebody who's a diabetic, they must have insulin. I'm an addict and an alcoholic. I must work daily, a day at a time, an ongoing program of recovery. And I will tell you an unfortunate thing about people that I've encountered and about myself in recovery. Things get better really fast. And there is something they talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous called the promises. There's actually 12 promises. They literally all come true through abstinence and they come true quickly. And here's the unfortunate part, sir. Our disease is just very much a predator And it is lying in wait, and it's waiting for that moment where we disconnect from what brought us to where we are. And that's exactly what happened to me. Everything that brought me to where I was, I had personal and professional success, but my spiritual remission 
went away because I unplugged from what got me there and my disease, which was waiting and furious because I wasn't feeding it, it struck and it struck with vengeance. And I had what I describe always as a violent relapse. It should have killed me. I was spared, but I'll tell you why. I was spared for this moment to share what I just shared with you and whoever's out there. And that's really an important part of the cautionary tale. So if you are listening today to this show and you're saying, wow, I can relate to Steve. I've gotten the help I need. I just came out of rehab. Uh, Steve's message is a sobering one. His story is a sobering one. And I know you're saying, well, I'm playing with words here with you. But no, it's true. Because like Stephen's making it plain, you've got to continue to focus on that tiger that's in the closet, if I could use that analogy. And if you open the door just to crack, you can be in big trouble really quick. Stephen, you are here to help folks. You've done it with your book, too. Your book isn't just about walking people through a story. I've noticed you deliberately wrote the book called Filling the Void with a purpose to engage people. It almost seemed like it was designed for people maybe in a treatment program, maybe people who are going through AA and want to support each other, maybe outside the AA context, walk through this book together, lots of questions, lots of discussion. Was that what you were thinking when you wrote the book? I think when I started out, I just felt convicted in my heart for a long time in my life. I wanted to share really what what I went through. I wanted to share my experience, strength, and hope. And I think through, I had a lot of help. And I don't think help is random and help isn't by accident. Uh, You know, when the student's ready, willing, and able, the teacher will present themselves. And I had some great people really rally around me and help. And they saw a larger degree and a larger scope that the work could provide, both for people, as you had said, Dr. DeRose, that may be engaged in treatment or maybe in aftercare from treatment. And even for people, there's so many professionals I engage with, sir, and so many people in day-to-day life who are just having some different challenges and they just want to look at a a conduct they're participating in and maybe either curtail it or eliminate it, it's purposeful in that regard as well. We are talking with Stephen T. Ginsburg. His website is stephentginsburg.com. We're talking about the book Filling the Void, and we want to come back, Stephen, to this idea that is encapsulated in the title Filling the Void, There's a lot of folks listening today, they may not be dealing with uh, drugs or alcohol. They may not have found uh, their first experience with marijuana very satisfying at all. They may have tried even some other substances and didn't have the reaction that you had, but they're still feeling an emptiness. They might be successful on the outside, but something's missing. Why did you use this title, Filling the Void? What is that all about? There really could have been no other title at all in the world. I I carried around this remarkable emptiness. It makes me think of the Grand Canyon. That's how I felt. And nothing, nothing I did, nothing I had, nothing I accomplished, nothing I could buy, nothing I could eat, nothing filled it up. Nothing made that emptiness, that ache go away. And that emptiness led me to some dark, dark places, to some horrible decisions that I'll live with the rest of my life, which is okay But I found the fulfillment was through a path of clarity. I found the fulfillment was through a life of authenticity. Yes, for me, in my walk, the fulfillment was through Christ. That doesn't mean if you're not a believer, there's not a better path to fulfillment for you yourself. Again, I love that saying, came, came to, came to believe. 
but there are greater things that can be done and it has nothing to do. That emptiness is never filled up by things we can obtain or things we do. It's an inside job and there's actually a path to being fulfilled. So I, I had to have that title front and center so that I could share in just what little way I could offer how they could bridge that gap, anyone who's out there. Now, Steve, you've mentioned a couple of times in this show, this phrase, and people that have gone through recovery programs, they've heard it before this came, came to, came to believe. We've just got a short amount of time in this segment, but can you give us a quick overview? Because folks are listening to that, and if they've never heard it before, they say, what is this guy talking about? You know, really, when when you're coming out of anything that's going on in your life that's creating unmanageability, anything, I don't want this to just be simply hanging on the tails of addiction and alcoholism. If there's some component or some circumstance, it could be a toxic relationship. It could be a, a professional environment that is really holding you back or hurting you. When anyone comes out of the abyss, it's hard to even get their bearings. So when you come out, you get some clarity. When you stay out, your clarity grows. And when you continue on that path that pulled you out, that's when you start to believe in what you're doing. So that's where that phrase is described and prescribed. We have to step away. We're going to be back with more from Stephen T. Ginsburg. You want his book? You want more free resources? You want to reach out to Steve? StephenTGinsburg.com. I'll give you that uh, website one more time, at least when we come back. Stay tuned. Final segment, real practical things that can help you, help your family members. Don't miss our final segment. It's right up after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. If child abuse victims don't get counseling or help, they shall often become abusers themselves. The victim doesn't make the decisions... They just take the orders. I got help, and so can you. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you own firearms, it's your responsibility to make sure they're always stored safely. Hiding them in a closet or drawer is not enough. Kids know where they are. Research shows the risk of injury and death is lower if guns are stored unloaded and locked up with the ammunition locked in a separate place. This is important when children are young as well as when they grow into teenagers. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit HealthyChildren.org. So I wanted to talk with you and your mom today, Lily, because some people at school have noticed changes going on with you, and we're concerned. Like what? Who? Some of your friends, teachers, it sounds like you've lost interest in a lot of things lately. You're hanging with new friends? So? So, individually, maybe those things are no big deal. But taken together, and then the incident the other day, you were with Derek when he was caught selling marijuana. Yeah, he was selling it. Honey, we know. But we care about you and, and want to know what's going on. That's right. We just want to understand better and see how we might help. And if weed is a part of it, we just want to make sure you understand the negative consequences for someone your age. The physical and mental health effects, the poor decision-making, and the confusing legal aspects these days. So what do you say? Can we talk? 
For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose for our final segment in today's edition of the broadcast. Stephen T. Ginsburg, he has been with us from the beginning of the show, and he is staying by with especially some practical things that can make a difference in your life. Steve, for those who are just jumping in, joining us, you have your own story of really uh, finding what seemed like fulfillment with drugs and alcohol, realizing it wasn't fulfillment at all. It was just taking you to a, a rapid demise or maybe a slow demise. Got help, relapsed, and uh, we haven't talked much about uh, what kind of intervened, but tell me if I've got it right. You go through the rehab as a young man, 19 years of age. You were not a successful student prior to that. It seems like after going through the rehab, as I read your book, that everything changed. You become a very successful business person. It seems like you got the world at your feet. Am I reading that right? You're 100% correct. And it's it's very typical when people who suffer from what I suffer from abstain and get clean and sober and work a program of sobriety. As I had mentioned before, there, there's promises that are spelled out and those are delivered. And, and to break it down very basically, the promises are you know, that you are going to have degrees of, of personal and professional success. So that came very quickly for me because I was able with clarity to apply myself and to uh, have the very best use of what I've been gifted with. And uh, it's a blessing, but it's a curse too, because you start forgetting where you come from and people in recovery very often have built-in forgetters. So basically successful fall back into uh, drugs and alcohol, back in recovery, connecting with AA, and you've gotten to the point where you're at today. For those who heard you mention it first, you have this inpatient program. We want to hear a little bit more about that. And then also this Cure Pro. Help us to understand just what you offer. And I'm assuming I can access all these things by going to stephentginsburg.com? Correct. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Restore Detox Centers, again, is a is a six-bed residential treatment and medical detox center that's in Poway. And CurePro is really an offshoot of Restore. It's something I developed aside from Restore. And I I developed CurePro because there was just a tremendous need in the community. Schools needed information to create prevention for students and for young people. So there's awareness. I found churches and companies needed information, needed engagement, whether they had someone in crisis or whether they also wanted to have some just general conversations about prevention and awareness. The surprise of CurePro for me was the individuals who sought me out, both through the Exposure Over Store and through our community. My wife and I have a, a network that we love, and they individually wanted to discuss or tackle issues. Sometimes it was drug and alcohol related, sometimes just life related. But those elements all comprised my day-to-day and That's where everything sits today as well. So let's talk to folks who, first of all, might not be dealing with uh, drugs or alcohol, but they feel a void in their lives. They feel like there's something missing. Maybe it's a young person tuning into the show today, and they're hearing the show maybe for the first time. They may not be a regular listener to the show, or maybe a person's an elder, 
And they're going to say, hey, I'm going to download a podcast from this from our website, the American Indian Alaska Native Living website, which is AIANL.org. They're going to go there and, and uh, download a copy of the show. Say, I want my young grandson to listen to this. He's 12, but I think he's at risk for some of these things. So, Steve, what do you say to that person who really senses a void in their life? I'd say to them, if there's any sort of space they're sitting in where they don't truly feel a sense of their worth or where they don't feel things are amounting to what they dreamt of or hoped for, I'd tell them that narrative they're going through, that's a lie. Uh, Anyone out there who's on any sort of a trajectory in this world, you have inherent worth that's remarkable and you are capable and it sounds very contrite and it sounds very fabricated, but you're capable of anything that you choose to do. One of the greatest things I'd support you in if you're out there suffering is don't construct obstacles or don't contribute to obstacles in your life. Go around them. And if you can't go around them, guys, go through them and and know that there truly is hope. There really is a solution that you can change your life. You can change your day. You can change your world in a moment by being intentional, by being purposeful. Uh, There's a word I love, trudge, walking with purpose. It's okay to step back, take a deep breath, take a good look at yourself and have willingness and humility and go forward boldly. But I want anyone who's out there that's suffering to know there is a better way and a better day waiting for you. These are powerful messages for folks who are struggling with meaning, with purpose. But Steve, I know there's a whole other population that they're listening to the show today. And uh, I know this because... We don't have just native listeners. We have people across every demographic that tune in as the show goes out in a couple of hundred stations throughout uh, the country into uh, Canada. Uh, I'm just telling you, there's folks that are struggling right now. Maybe they've gone through a treatment program like you did. They went to residential treatment, but they're struggling right now. What do you tell that person who has gotten the treatment? Maybe they're not... uh, back in the throes of the addiction, but maybe they're starting to slide back into it. Maybe they're not keeping those boundaries real tight. They say, well, I'm not an alcoholic. You know, I, I, you know, I'll go to a graduation, I'll have a little beer, and you know, I go out to the ball game. I just drink in these uh, uh, very controlled situations. Does that make you worry when you hear that kind of dialogue? makes me worry. If, if that kind of dialogue exists, Dr. DeRose, and the individual sharing with me that there's unmanageability rearing its head in their life, that their marriage is suffering, that their relationship with their children is suffering, that their professional life is suffering, that they feel disconnected from their community, that they're isolating. If those things are following that type of a report, I'm going to officially worry. I'll urge and encourage someone to take action behind that and take a a really clear and painstakingly honest look at what's really occurring without any rationalization. Steve, you've been speaking to pretty much the whole range of people dealing with these challenges. Let's talk to that person now who is in the throes of an addiction. They're listening, and they feel like, well, yeah, things are pretty bad. They've lost their marriage. They're out of work. But, hey, they're uh, they're doing day trading. They're still paying the bills and, you know— They're managing okay, but they realize deep down that they need some serious help. Maybe they're in Southern California. Maybe they're not. 
what do you recommend? I mean, speak about your own program as well as programs throughout the country, if you would. First and foremost, what I recommend above all else is don't wait. Get help, whether it's through a program of my own or whether it's through any outside program. Get help and have someone intervene in this crisis you're participating in because what that person is is doing and what they're dealing with is the yets, Y-E-T-S, the yets of their life. They haven't lost everything yet. They're day trading. They haven't lost that job yet. They haven't killed someone with their car yet. They haven't been arrested yet. Those things are coming. If that progressive nature of consequences is following the individual round in your scenario, Dr. DeRose, those yets are, are lurking and will come for them. It doesn't have to be that way. It can stop at this moment, but it takes footwork on the person's part. They have to reach out. Any professional or contemporary I have or myself, we're blessed with awareness and we're convicted about what we do, but we're not mind readers. We can't randomly reach out and find the people who are suffering. They have to seek us and we will do our part and meet them where they are. And what I want everyone to know most is I am absolutely certain and I'm living proof and I believe in proof of concept. There is a solution. There is an answer. There's a better way. Steve, speak to the person who wants to come to the Restore Detox Center down there in, in Southern California. Is it best to go on the website, make a phone call? What do you recommend? It truly couldn't be easier. If you just search Restore Detox Centers or if you go to RestoreDetoxCenters.com, there is, an, there is a number that pops up immediately. Uh, I have a remarkable admissions director. He's a gentleman who's in recovery. If you didn't pick up the phone, guess whose phone rings? Mine does. And you'll be right on the phone with me. And I'm blessed and proud, humbly, to say that. And we will find a way to get you help at Restore. And by the way, if we can't find a way to get you help at Restore, we have so many remarkable contemporaries. We'll find another path for you so you can get help. Tremendous message. Well, Steve, our time has just about slipped away. As we're closing the show, tell us one more time about your book and how people can connect with your website and take advantage of some of the free resources as well as maybe pick up a copy of uh, your recent title. Girls, thank you so much. And the book is Filling the Void. You can find everything at stephentginsburg.com. And there's so much that's available to you there. But above and beyond that, I just, I just really want to say one more time to anyone out there, whatever is putting them in peril or whatever is going on in their world or their life, whether it's the throes of addiction and alcoholism whether there's just some personal choices that they're looking at or whether there's unmanageability rearing its head in other areas, I want to really encourage everyone just continue to live their best life and to look for the answers and realize that there is a great opportunity for a better life for all of us. Just got to do it together. Wow, Stephen, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And thank you, everyone who's tuned in to this edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. For all of us, I'm Dr. David DeRose, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.